Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and I'm here with my bulldog, Rodney, as always. We have a special guest today with my friend Vivian Ariola, and she is a well-respected psychologist in Miami Beach. And today we're going to talk about something that comes up for everybody that we have to deal with in order to live the dream, and that's managing stress in your life. So Vivian has been in practice for over 10 years. She's a native of Miami, so she's seen a lot of Miami growth in the past few years, but she's also developed a very specialized practice as a psychologist, counseling people from children to families to professionals on issues of mental health in order for them to live their dream. So I'd like to welcome Vivian to our podcast. Vivian, thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me today. You're welcome. So we're getting ready to go into the holiday season, and that can be a very stressful time for people. So what kind of tips do you have for people to manage their stress in the holidays, especially when they're busy working professionals like you and I are, when they're doctors, lawyers, teachers, psychiatrists, and they have families to deal with or dogs like we do? So particularly during the holidays, it's rather busy for us over here, right? For those that are struggling with any loss that they've had in their families. And then also we get a number of folks that come in because they need assistance in in helping them cope and manage with families coming to visit them that they only see like once or twice a year. Like the Griswolds and Christmas (laughs) vacation. Exactly. And like home for the holidays when they throw like the turkey across the table, something like that. Mm -hmm. So we're really busy. But going back to what you said, as you know, there's an increase in depression and loneliness during the holidays for various reasons. It's the highest rate of suicide during that time as well. So the most important thing I think is to stay connected, right? So you want to stay connected with friends, pets, family. I know that's hard to do when you're not feeling well, because usually what you tend to do is like isolate, withdraw. But if there's any any way that you can kind of push through that, and if you have loved ones that kind of know that you struggle with, you know, maybe some mood disorder or depression or some trauma, hopefully they can check up on, on you to make sure that, you know, that you're okay. Reaching out, trying to counterattack the isolation is imperative. I think giving back and volunteering with those that are less fortunate really helps you to maybe get some perspective that whatever you're going through, you know, it's not that we're trying to minimize it, but, you know, it can always be worse, which is, I think, a really good way to deal with that. I think like maybe booking a trip or a retreat or a spiritual workshop. That can also be fun. Like if you like to surf, go on a surfing trip or like yoga. There's like all these yoga trips all over. So things like that. So the main thing is to make plans and stay connected within the community. Right. So that way when you're active and stuff, you know, your mind's on the activity and having fun and meeting others. So let me ask you this then. In my my career as a lawyer, we're always on the go. You got to build clients left and right. You've got deals closing at the end of the year. I was reading a study where like, I think lawyers make the worst spouses because they're always under pressure and they're focused on their career. What advice do you have to professionals where they can put their work life aside and still have that family life or that relation life? Because if you work all the time, I mean, you're just not going to be able to succeed in everything. It seems to me. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I think what you're referring to is balance, right? Mm -hmm. Like finding balance in in your life. And, 
you know, when we tend to put a lot of our energy into one aspect of life, then there's another area that may suffer. So it's hard to kind of have that pendulum going at an even scale. You obviously can't be everywhere at once. Hopefully you have like a good support system and an understanding wife or husband, girlfriend, lover, significant other that can kind of, you know, you let them know, hey, I'm going to be really busy over the holidays. This is like what I'm facing for the next few weeks. Just bear with me. I think it's key to just communicate, not just to kind of, you know, not just disappear and get swallowed in, in your work. Uh, I think just letting your family know like what you're facing and then you can kind of tackle it together. But also with that said, wanting to have a better work-life balance is crucial to your overall health, right? It's not just like, you know, what you put in your body, but that balance is the most important thing. Yeah, that's why I was a member of I have been a member for a long time at the standard Miami Beach because I'd always have a, a policy. I was going to say I always have a standard, but that'd be a really bad pun. <laughs> but um, I try on the weekends just to decompress as much as I can. I go to the standard, I'd hang out at the pool, or I'd if I had to read something, I could do like a bill and chill and just get that sunshine and m- interact with people and things like that because I needed that time to to detox, basically. Absolutely, yeah. So going outside, I'm always talking about that. Go outside and play, right? Like the older we get, the more focus we get on our careers. And it's like we got to do all these things and all these goals. But the very essence of just being playful as you were when you were a child, like riding bike, going on your skateboard, like running at the beach. So like if you, for instance, if you drive all the time for work, maybe on the weekends or your days off, whatever those days off, if you can try to be more pedestrian or like get on your bike or say, okay, today I'm not driving and just try to like be outside. If it's the beach here because we have this amazing water or if you live by a mountain or a countryside, you know, smelling the fresh air, feeling sunshine on your face. If you don't have sunshine, you know, you try to like roll with the punches. But the key here is to go outside in nature. There's incredible healing properties in all the elements of the earth that's earth air wind and fire so you, band too, wasn't it? yeah <laughs> actually <laughs> there you go and actually i really love them i love their music what was that song called the whistle no a brazilian rhyme that was a brazilian rhyme my take of it anyway so anyway so you like earth wind and fire yeah so, you know, one thing with having families and in, in telling them for the holidays and stuff is like if you're the host family, like going back to the Christmas vacation movie with Chevy Chase, it's a lot of pressure on people because you've got so many different personalities coming and you want everything to be perfect. And you may have people come that you really don't want your cousin Eddie there, but he just kind of shows up <laughs> with his trailer and things like that. <laughs> So what advice do you give to people to kind of like help just chill out, whether it's hosting parties or just in general? I know we talked about earth, wind and fire, but maybe someone's in Colorado or they're in Kentucky and they don't have the beach or things like that. And it's cold. They can't do a whole lot of stuff outside. What are some good techniques to use for them to chill out? So it's cold and they're stuck indoors with their cousin Eddie that they didn't want to shut up with the trailer. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe an aunt Bethany shows up. <laughs> Everyone always has that one family member, right? Hmm, That's a good one. Well, is there a lot of booze in the house? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wait a second. That's coming from a psychologist here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I think, I mean, at that point, you have to just try to take a big, deep breath Mm -hmm. or like 10 
and just see it as it's temporary. So if you got 10 days with Cousin Eddie or Aunt Bethany, maybe have some board games, learn how to try to tune them out and just learn to be with somebody, not be so reactive and figure out why you're being triggered so much by that family member. Like, what is it about them that irks you so much? Is it something within yourself? And then sometimes, a lot of the times, it is something within ourselves or it, and if it is their poor behavior, you know, you got to just pick and choose your battles because to start, you know, confrontation in the middle of a holiday time with a bunch of family, it's just going to, it's going to go from bad to worse. Yeah. You know? Well, Moving on to another topic of high stress is what do you advise families when like they've got a busy career, they're the parent of the children who have tons of homework and they're in school and stuff like that. And they feel like, you know what, I've got to be able to do everything for my child and my child has to be involved in everything, but they don't set aside time for themselves. What kind of situations do you counsel on there? Well, actually, I see that quite a bit with a few families that I have in here. And the amount of homework that the children get nowadays is really something. You know, the parents coming home from these careers and sitting down at the table and doing like four or five hours of homework at a time. Yeah. Sometimes they have to finish it the next morning because the kids are just, I mean, they're children. There's only so much that they can sit down one period of time. So I help them set up uh, strategies for behavior training, like token boards and vision boards with their kids so that they can see after a certain amount of like hours, they get tokens or money. Money seems to work really well with the little ones. They know mm. what the they're going to get at the end of the day, end of the week. And like that, it kind of keeps them motivated and it positively reinforces their behaviors. As far as the adults and the parents are concerned, I mean, I think just getting getting on a routine and making sure that they also have time for themselves. And I know it's easier said than done sometimes, but like you have to be okay and be healthy and balanced in order for your kids to be okay. Like, mm-hmm happy wife, happy life type of thing. The same meaning mom, mom and dad have to be okay in order for like the kids to be okay. So I don't know. I mean, I think having that work-life balance again, making time for yourself to go to the gym, go for a run, that seems to really help a lot with uh, decreasing the anxiety and the workload. As much sleep as you can, like Mm -hmm. removing toxins so that you can hit REM sleep, which is like the most important part of the sleep where your brain actually repairs and the tissues regenerate. I think like asking help, having support, tutors, family, friends, neighbors. Neighbors seem to be a real good source of support for the parents that I have in here. It's beautiful to see the community coming together and kind of helping each other out because we weren't put on this earth to do things alone. We can get a lot done alone, but, you know, together we can absolutely do so much more. And, you know, what's that saying? It takes a village. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. But together we can do it. Seeing all the stuff that's been going on, too, with mental health awareness and and all the tragedies that have happened, that people, if they have an issue, they don't need to feel that they can't reach out, like you've mentioned, to neighbors and things like that. Why is that so important? Reaching out, Mm -hmm. asking for help. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like... Rodney, you knocked over water. What kind of a host are you, Rodney? You're causing a mess here. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, yeah. And he's licking it. He's like, oh, I'll drink it off the floor. Yeah. Bubs, I need to take a picture of your face. It's a face of guilt. Oh, my God. Rodney, what you looking for? Hey. Bubs. Hey. <laughs> Right. What are you looking for? Probably more water. 
So one of the things I've noticed with all the you know mental health issues coming up in the world is you've got people that they don't feel they can reach out. They feel like if they reach out that people are going to think negatively of them and they're afraid to, to do that because they don't want people to think badly of them. But how important it is, is it for someone to reach out when they feel like they've got problems? I mean, it's incredibly important, right? So I hear that, and I've, I've also felt it myself, right? You don't want to be a burden on anyone. So mm, right. we tend to like take things in and in, and all of a sudden you're like internalizing all of this anxiety or worry or stress or sadness, whatever it is that you're you're dealing with. And then you become like this man on an island and you, the isolation and the, the gap starts growing between you and, you know, humanity and the community. Super dangerous, not conducive, because really the only person that usually has a problem with asking for help is the person asking for help. There's so many people out there, you know, your loved ones and friends and family and all that, even coworkers, they would be more than happy to help. Obviously, you're not going to go around and just ask just anyone, especially if you're feeling a little vulnerable. But like I said earlier, we weren't put here on this planet to do things alone. I mean, we have to constantly help lift each other up. And when you fall, there's always someone out there to reach their hand out and pull them up. And one day that's you that needs help. Another day it's you that's giving the help. So it's a beautiful give and take and it's always evolving. Like we'll never stop helping one another. It's all about the human connection, human contact and community, I think. Yeah. And you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm 42 now and I've had some really close friends that I didn't realize that they had depression and things like that. And unfortunately, they was where it got to the point they were suicidal and stuff like that. And it's too late. And I was like thinking, man, if they just reached out to me, I would be glad to help them because they're my friend and I don't want them to suffer. But a lot of times people are embarrassed to do that. And it's just like you said, you can't be afraid to do that because there are people that want to help you. Exactly. Criticize you. Well, since we are both fellow pet owners, <laughs> I know we've got to talk about pets because Pets are such a benefit to people emotionally. And now you've got the, the world of emotional support animals. And of course, I deal with that in the law. But what are you seeing in, in your world, in the psychology world, about the benefit of pets? Yeah. Okay. So let me start off by saying that my little guy comes to work with me. He used to come to work with me almost every day. And now I just limit it to one or two days a week because I started seeing that he literally was exhausted and almost in a bad mood. <laughs> the more I brought him over, I was like, oh my God, he's therapied out. Like you I have be, to give him a break. You can't be leaving the psychologist's <laughs> office in a bad mood. He was just like done. I mean, because people come in here and they they rub it out on him like he's a pug, the <laughs> cutest pug. And they're like playing with his roles and giving him massages. And they come in here like angry or really anxious. But they don't even notice. I'm watching Prince get like the best <laughs> massages all day long. And I'm thinking, oh, this person's going to feel great when they leave because they're leaving it on Prince. You know, I have to sage my dog all the time because all of that energy is on top of him. So <laughs> the days that, that Prince comes to the office and I start switching his days off. So he gets days off. <laughs> and then the, the client will be like, wait a minute, where's Prince? It's like the first thing. Like, why didn't you bring him? And I'll be like, oh, he has the day off today. No, 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 no. Like, you have to you have to schedule me when he's here. I don't I don't want to come in when he's not here. So you have like a billable rate <laughs> oh or something? Oh, my God, he should. He's like pro bono. Yeah. So it's, it's imperatively important. So research has shown that emotional support of animals is empirically proven to decrease negative symptoms like anger, anxiety, depression, being easily startled, hypervigilance or feeling on edge, panic attacks, nightmares or sleep disturbances, irritability, anxiety, depression, feelings of loneliness. The list goes on and on. 
And in addition to that, these animals are also shown to improve uh, overall level of health and functioning by providing companionship. You know, you can go eat with them, you go to the park, you go out for a walk, you can go to the movies if you like, you travel with them. They encourage physical outdoor activity, you know, forces you to go for walks, hikes, runs, even swimming. It increases endorphins for your mood and improves your social support network like dog parks, dog events. I've got to tell you, some of like the closest friends I have. I've met at dog parks. No, me too. I mean, yeah, that's, that was my cool. biggest networking tool. <laughs> I almost feel like if you don't like animals, um, I'm like, I have to think twice about our friendship. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, I've had Rodney almost almost 10 years. He'll turn 10 in March. Oh, wow. And when I moved to Icon Brickle, they had a, a big park on one side and they were developing the other one. But I met so many of my neighbors by being a dog owner. And it's like, at least when you're with a, a dog and you're talking to someone, you have something in common so you can talk to them about it and get to know them a little bit more. Plus, you get to see them more on a routine basis. So there's more of a chance for a, a friendship. So I didn't know that Prince was part of the practice, though. But it does make a lot of sense because when you walk in and you see a dog that's well behaved, it brings you generally at a, a sense of ease and more comfort. Yeah, even for the other therapists that work here and our wonderful office manager, the days that he doesn't come in, oh, what, no Prince is the first thing. I'm now known as Prince's mom. Nobody knows me by my name anymore. That's how it is with <laughs> I mean, I was always Rodney's dad. I mean, he even has his own uh, little page on my website with his mugshot and a little paragraph welcoming clients to our practice. So I couldn't see, help myself. It's kind of like with Rodney. You know, Rodney's the co-host of this episode, which the guests should be glad to know. Rodney's not taking a nap. He's been very active here. He's knocked over water. He's <laughs> he's licked Vivian's leg consistently, fought her for attention. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting, though, with, with pets is the emotional support animal, because as a real estate lawyer, we deal with that a lot when it comes to housing, especially like in condos where you have rules and regulations about like pet breeds or pet sizes things like that. So when you're a psychologist evaluating someone for that certificate, what's the like analysis? The criteria? The criteria, yeah. I mean, it depends. Does the person like really warrant a need to live or travel with a companion? Right. So I, the reason why I'm asking the question is because there are some people, like you said, that they really benefit from the pet. They don't have the panic attacks and stuff. But then you'll have some people that want to move into a condo that says no pit bulls or no Dobermans or they have a weight limit of 50 pounds. And they're like, well, I need this really big Rottweiler to be my pet. And the Rottweiler, you mean at the dog park is not in control at all. And they're like, you know what, they're taking advantage of the system. But from a legal perspective, you can't ask somebody, well, you know, do you really need this pet? Because then it's a violation of the, I guess, Fair Housing Act and mm-hmm. things like that. So there are always people that want to take advantage of the system, but there are people who are really legit. Sure, of course. Claims. So I was just kind of curious as to how, from a psychology standpoint, you go through that evaluation for that certificate. Well, luckily, the clients that have needed that are in here for a reason. Okay. So it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. But I have seen what you're talking about, not not with my my clientele. I've seen it on planes. I've seen it at parks. I've seen it at restaurants. And it's just like with anything in any system, there's always going to be people who really need it and people who are always going to try to get over on the system and take advantage. Right. So, well, the bottom line is pets are, are wonderful. We can vouch to that. I know you know, I really don't travel unless I can take Rodney. Like even when I took him today for his, his monthly bath, like when I dropped him off, 
he knew he was being dropped off and he, I could tell he was sad. And so I was gone maybe like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And he was like ecstatic when I came back. And now that he's getting a little bit older, it's like, I don't want to leave him with a sitter because I'm like, it's not like a child where I can say, all right, I'm going to be back in a week. He doesn't know if I'm coming back and I don't want to cause any distress. So, you know, wherever I go within reason, Rodney usually goes. And I know a lot of hotels are accommodating pets now and things like that. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky. South Florida is super pet friendly. LA was like that too when I lived out there. Sounds like you have some separation anxiety issues. Well, I, I fully have it with my dog. Don't worry. <laughs> well, as a parent, it's just, especially with him being an older dog, I just don't. And bulldogs are prone to have lifespans around like ten to twelve years. So you know we're getting mm. close. I value every every minute. Oh, good. He's doing great though, health wise, folks. Rodney's doing great. He's super handsome. <laughs> but you know, I just try to be cognizant of you know doing things so that he's always treated as well as possible. I don't want to cause any undue stress and stuff like that. Yeah, of course, so, of course. There are, there are babies. He's they're, my child. Yeah, there's just a four-legged, that's all. So, all right, talk to me more about this celebrity prince. So, I guess he's named after the musician, correct? Correct. I originally wanted to name him Cash after Johnny Cash. Love him. But then Prince died, and I picked him up like three days later after Prince had died. And then we went home and we were listening to Prince in the car. So I had to pay homage. Mm -hmm. So his name is actually Princeton Cash. Oh, really? Prince Cash doesn't have a sound to it, but Princeton Cash kind of does. It kind of works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I know I call him like three other nicknames. I, I'm constantly calling him a different name, poor thing. But Bubba. Yeah, Bubba. That'll resonate well with my Kentucky followers, Bu though. We That's a, a term that's regularly <laughs> used in the South. Yeah, Bubba, Princey, Gooky is like a, a family nickname that we call all the little ones. Yeah, he has a few names. And actually, he and Rod Rodney are kind of related. They're part of the Bulldog family. So well, since we talked about Prince, that transitions into another thing that's very therapeutic for people, and that's the world of music. And I know besides being a music fan, you also were in the music business. So talk about the benefits of music when it comes to mental health. Oh, yes. Music makes the world go around, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the best songs, I always say like the best therapist I've ever had is like Sade or like these lyrics or ballads when you're like healing from a broken heart or something like that. I mean, the best, the best lyrics. That was an 80s song, Living on the Edge of a Broken Heart. <laughs> I forgot who sang it. I that. don't know who that is. So the neuropsychology of music and the correlation it has on positive effects on the brain is completely fascinating. It uses various lobes. So we have four lobes and both hemispheres of the brain by activating, stimulating, and using the entire brain. And it's one of the only activities that actually uses the entire brain instead of it being localized. Music can also repair brain damage and returns lost memories. There's a study that shows that music helps the blood flow more easily. It reduces heart rate, lowers your blood pressure, decreases the cortisol, which is a stress hormone. It increases serotonin and endorphin levels as well. It boosts brain production of dopamine. It improves memory, reduces anxiety. It eases chronic pain by providing comfort. It also improves cognition by stimulating the cerebral cortex, which is associated with higher level of functioning. I mean, the benefits go on and on and on, and it just makes you feel good. You know, like putting on music, whether it's like first thing in the morning or when you're driving to school or work or when you get home at night. I mean, creating a mood 
music, incense, burn some sage, open your windows, like go outside. Like, I feel like that's all part of the whole self-care movement, mm-hmm. right? Like taking care of yourself. It's not just about the hustle and bustle. I got to get to work. I have this meeting. Have this. I get it. Like I'm, my life is so micromanaged on the days that I work that when I'm off of work before and after, and especially on my days off, like I do everything possible to not work. Right. Yeah. So let me ask, who are your favorite rock bands? Oh, okay. There's a few. Pink Floyd. I love you too. The Cure, Depeche Mode, The Rolling Stones. I just saw The Stones. I actually took my mom and my sister's mother-in-law to Jacksonville. We drove up to Jacksonville and we had incredible seats. We were like seventh row VIP. We were very, very fortunate and lucky to have had that opportunity. And it was just incredible. So obviously my mom and my sister's mother-in-law, they grew up to the Stones. I had already seen them once a long time ago, but it was on my mom's bucket list. And to see the look on their faces, like when we're all the way up front and everybody is dancing. Like my mom didn't sit down once. I think maybe she sat down once for like two minutes. I mean, I had a 90 year old man dressed in a black suit to my right. We had little kids to my mom's Wait, left. Wait, that was a guest? Yeah, I mean, there were, I mean, <laughs> the age span goes all across the board for the Stones. It was incredible. They yeah. sounded better than the first time that I heard them. It was maybe like 10 years ago. I mean, what a performance and there's no props. It's just strictly rock and roll and instruments. They like it. <laughs> and they like it. That's oh, you know who else was like that? Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. No production, strictly their songs and all their drama between the band members. You know, mm-hmm. was, everybody was like always sleeping with one another and all the all the fights. They talk about it during their shows. That's what makes it so awesome. Oh, they do? Oh, yeah. They talk <laughs> about how the songs were made and what yeah. was going on at that time when they wrote it. Yeah, that's a pretty tumultuous band. But Stevie Nicks, I mean, when you talk She's about incredible. some of the, one of the greatest woman performers of all time in any genre, of music, she's always listed as one of the top vocalists. She's incredible. She's in a league of her own. She's really fabulous. I mean, I have such an eclectic taste of music. It goes all across the board. I even like country. I worked in dance music for a long time. I like old school hip hop. Um, I like everything. I love Mariah Carey ballads. I'll listen to the Beatles. I mean, I just think Mm -hmm. that it's so like music really moves me. I don't know if it's part of the reason is I was a trained dancer when I was young growing up. I was always I started off. I started with ballet. I did ballet, jazz, tap, contemporary. And then I older later on in life, I learned flamenco. I, I just love music. And that ultimately led me into the nightlife and music industry for quite some time. I had a whole other life before I became a psychologist. Yeah, I'll ask you about that in a second. (laughs) I actually had to take dance lessons once, too. Uh, I had to learn salsa, merengue. It was for softball because I play a lot of softball. So I was doing these traveling teams, and they wanted to do it for the footwork because if you're a middle infielder, you've got to have the footwork. And so I had to sign up, and I I was actually pretty good for – For a white guy from Kentucky. Now, if I'm comparing myself with the the Latin guys down here, I have no shot. I just have to watch and try to imitate because (laughs) I can't compete in that area. But that's so neat that that would be your homework to go take dance lessons to be a better baseball player. That's awesome. A lot of athletes are having to do that, too, just for the, the whole footwork and stuff. Well, I tell you what, one thing in Miami, though, music is a very, very important thing in Miami. And before we get into the nightlife, and electronic music and all that stuff. I've been really impressed with how Miami is starting to bring more rock acts. I'm a rock fan, so I like Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, mm, nice. um, all that stuff. I'm going to see ZZ Top next week. So you talk about an age variety from the Rolling Stones, it's going to be the same thing for ZZ Top. So, But at the amphitheater over at, I forgot what they call it, it's on oh, Bayfront Park. Cruise? Oh, here? Or are you talking about West Palm? Bayfront Park. 
at Bayfront Park, they okay. brought in like Bush recently. I know they brought in Stone Temple Pilots and a lot of different bands. Oh, nice. So I've been impressed with that because it used to be that they would always stop in Fort Lauderdale and then you'd have to go all the way up to Sunrise at the BB&T Center because I'd see like Guns N' Roses and Metallica and all that there. But anyway, so that's been a good thing. But Miami has always been famous, I guess, for more of the DJ stuff. And I know that's your specialty. So why is Miami such a big music city for electronica? Oh, well, it's definitely not my specialty anymore, but... Well, you know a bit more about it than I do. Yeah. Or just shoot music in general. Sure. Well, at the age of 18, I was asked to run the front door of a really notorious nightclub back then. It was called Liquid, and I just totally aged myself, but that's okay. <laughs> I was 18 years old. I was interning at Island Records at the Marlin Hotel. It was Chris Blackwell's music label. So I really thought I was going to like be a businesswoman in the music industry. And starting at Liquid, I worked there for a few years. It was an incredible experience. I started off a 20-year run in the nightlife industry. I ended up moving to New York, running the front door at some really big hotspots out there while I was working in fashion. As you know, music and fashion industries overlap. And then I came back to Miami and I continued running the door. And then I started working inside because I saw how lucrative it was and what the girls were making. And within that arena, I met like amazing DJs and producers that are still some of my closest friends to date. I've had them for over 20 years and I, you know, managed and assisted some of them. And then I ended up becoming a music programmer director for a few bars and lounges on South Beach. And it goes on and on and on. And I pretty much did that during my training up until the point where, you know, the dean of my school told me that I needed to quit and <laughs> stop running, a, 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 stop living two lives. So, you know, people were not supposed to work past a certain point at the, you know, when you're getting your doctorate in psychology, at least. And I and I and I kept pushing it because the money was so good. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> I've been depending on this money for so long. So finally, I had to quit and I had to cross over. But I was there for the days that Ultra started on the beach. Like it was literally yeah. a little party. Oh, it started on, on the beach. I didn't like know literally that. on the sand. It was incredible. It was when like, did it start? I mean, I don't know. That's a, I would say like what early nineties. I didn't realize um, that because I moved to Miami in two thousand three, and I always remember when Ultra was. It was over there by the American Airlines Arena. Oh no, that, that that's already when it like got really big. Oh, I mean, okay. this started started on the beach, like literally on the sand. And it was yeah. a great dream that Alex Holmes had. And, you know, he's no longer with us. But what it's become is like really incredible. So you asked why it's so big here. I mean, I think the the idea of the location, it was such a destination back in the day. I remember music conference when it was like a lot of drum and bass and jungle that used to come through here. And I was like, what, 18? And it was really cool parties. And I think there's something about the sand, the ocean. There's a sense of freedom when people come here. I mean, you mm -hmm. see it when like the tourists get here. It was just, it sort of became like this capital, this mecca for, for electronic dance music. And here we are. I mean, it's still thriving. I think it's changed a lot, obviously, just like mm -hmm. anything in 20 years. But it's it's still going strong. It's just it's just different type of music, different crowd. Back then, there were no smartphones. Everyone's always, like, recording now. Like, back yeah. then in my day, like, we went to dance, and I literally would dance for, like, eight, ten hours. Like, no interruption, no phone, sweating. Mm -hmm. Like, we were there. Eight to ten hours? Yeah, like, we were there to dance. Like, this we is were like the TV show Fame. <laughs> Star Search. We were literally, like, all we wanted to do was, like, dance and dance. Nobody talked. I mean, we talked here and there, but it's not like now where I, I've gone out and I see you know, the millennials and everybody that's out, like just filming and recording the DJ. And it's like, 
a huge crowd and nobody's moving. Yeah. So I don't understand that, but you know, maybe I'm ma maybe I'm old. I don't know. Well, you're not old. <laughs> you're the same age as me. So one of the big things in Miami is Miami Music Week. So talk a little bit about that because it's a pretty cool thing for Miami. It is. I mean, again, I'm not in that industry anymore. I was bartending events for that up until like several years ago because one of my good friends was still doing pool parties at some of the hotels out here. And he's like, I'm going to bring you out of retirement. Why don't you just come back and bartend once a year? It's because I used to bartend and do bottle service. And I said, oh, okay, I'll give it a try. And then that lasted another 10 years. But it's a great time for everybody that's in the music industry to come together, people flying from all over the world. It's a great opportunity for the locals here to make money who are in the industry. Rodney agrees with that. Yeah, he's like, yeah, let's party. <laughs> There's and Prince agrees too. <laughs> it's just like very electric and vibrant for that week, you know, when you have like tons of parties going on at hotels, venues, clubs, bars, daytime, nighttime, lots of music labels showcasing their new artists or, or new tracks. It's a really great networking opportunity within the industry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting too. I mean, when I moved to Miami, I always thought, okay, well, South Beach is all about the partying and stuff like that. And you'd see what was going on in People Magazine and you'd see like Sofia Vergara was down here, or Jeremy Piven or whoever. But the music scene has kind of grown to other areas of Miami now, like when Wynwood and a lot of these rooftop bars and they'll have like a DJ and they'll be doing that not at night as a club, but do it as a brunch or a, a happy hour thing. So, and I think that's just a good vibe for, for people to have because the thing I just realized, and I think I've mentioned it before, but the people that are now, let's say my parents' age, well, they grew up when the Rolling Stones were just starting and they dealt with the Fleetwood Mac was popular and um, all those classic rock bands. Well, now they're still that age and they want to have a social life and go out and do things. And the people that are in their 50s, they grew up in the MTV generation. So your Def Leppards and Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Prince, Michael Jackson, all that stuff. And the people that are in their 30s and 40s, well, they grew up in the 90s. And then you got into all this new music with the, the hip-hop scene and things like that. So I feel like if these venues can offer that kind of stuff, it makes it more attractive to the clientele because they, they're not going there just for a boring dinner. They're going there for an interesting dinner that's uh, supplemented by the music scene. Exactly. It's, it's all about the experience, right? It's like being part of like some type of immersive show and you're in it. Mm -hmm. It's not just dancing till five in the morning. Boy, I yeah. could never do that. I know, not anymore, but I used to. Yeah, exactly. I love that what's going on down there in Wynwood. Mm -hmm. I live by over there and I, I absolutely love it. I never thought I would like living anywhere off the beach because I'm such a beach girl and I've lived on the beach always. But there's so many cool little pop-ups all over and it's very diverse. And like you said, it's like all these little rooftop lounges that are coming, mm -hmm. coming up everywhere and you can eat. There's shows. You can walk around and then go home and have like a full productive day the next day because you're not getting home so late. Right. It's great. What are your favorite places in Miami as far as like hot spots? Hot spots. Hmm. I used to Other love... than being on this podcast with Prince and Rodney. <laughs> well, I have to say, I mean, it's no longer here. It just finished closing, but the electric pickle. Oh, that's right. Oh, I read my. about that. It was amazing. I mean, yeah. it was right by where I live. And if you want to hear some real good music and like no pretentiousness, you throw on like a tank top. Mm -hmm. and some shoes and you go and like people literally all you do there is dance and yeah. I just and that goes back to like my younger days where I told you I would just dance for eight hours it's that mm -hmm. type of a feel it's not about bottle service it's not about how much money 
it's not about how much money you're spending or like what shoes you're wearing and the guys have to be dressed up. Like, no, it's not like that at all. It's all about the music and the vibe. And I really love places like that. Now it's no longer here. So Floyd puts on like really great shows as well. I can't do space. I just can't. Mm -hmm. I can't do those hours. But they have amazing programming over there as well. That's Um, what, two years old, Floyd, I think? mm -hmm. Yep. I remember um, when I was doing charity events and stuff, they reached out to us and there was it's like a smaller, like lounge kind of setting, I think. I think, but mm-hmm. it was like I heard good vibes about it, good reviews. Amazing music, amazing vibe. Mm-hmm. Very similar mm-hmm. to, you know, what Electric Pickle did. I know in Winwood, too, a place I liked was uh, called Number Three Social. I did an event there. It was just a really cool vibe. They had the nice restaurant downstairs, but they also had the upstairs rooftop. And yes. it had good DJs. And like you said, Winwood's more like you come and go as you please kind of a thing. Yeah, that that rooftop bar, uh, a few of my friends run it and actually opened it. And I was going to be a part of it. But I had just they asked me to work there when I first relocated here from L.A. and Gainesville. But I was just starting up here at the private practice. So, I mean, I couldn't be in two places at once. But I've had some amazing times there. And it was at one point the only place I would go to. I was there so often. And I actually rang in a new year there with some of my closest friends from I had friends fly down from. New York. So it was like a big mix of New York and Miami. It was gay, straight, everybody like just mixed. And we literally danced until, I mean, we were supposed to close. They were supposed to close at a certain time and we kept it open for three hours later because nobody would leave. We were dancing under the stars. It was like beautiful weather during New Year's. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like crisp. It was such a great time. You know, actually, I think I heard about that restaurant from um, seeing you post about it on social media. Oh, it's very possible because I I used to always post for them because I loved it so much. Yeah. (laughs) I was always looking for like That's great. cool new venues and things like that. And if it's something new and I always like the rooftop bar concept because yeah. I mean, I just kind of need some space and some air in there and especially mm-hmm. I don't smoke. And if yeah. you're in a situation where it's a bunch of smoke, I'm like, I cannot handle that. I know. That's the only thing about Miami. We have to get we have to get with it with that law, you know, to not allow yeah. cigarettes in like closed spaces because Sorry to all you smokers out there, but you can go outside. I mean, nothing worse than having long hair and coming home and your hair literally smelling like an ashtray. And well, like, your clothes. Yeah, it's it's so bad. Like, you have to take a shower. Before. I'm trying to get that into my new project of, of the year. I was like, you need to do these like hotels that are like mixed use. Like, And I, I got the idea from what I saw in Miami because you'd have like the boutique hotels in Miami Beach and it'd be like a hotel, but then they have the restaurant that's open to the locals or the rooftop bar or pool or whatever, because the locals, especially in Miami, I mean, they're, they're wanting to go out, they're wanting to spend money and stuff. And it's a great source of revenue. And it's, it's really how you meet people mm-hmm. a lot. So I've always enjoyed that. I want to kind of switch to another topic because it just popped into my head last night and I didn't realize it was really a growing problem, but, uh, when I was talking to a friend, she was talking about the issue, and I was like, you know what? I've seen a lot of my friends post about it, and it's this personality disorder called narcissism. And so when I texted you about it, you're like, yes, you know, it's a real problem. So talk a little bit about this narcissism problem and how people can deal with that. Yeah, I was I was excited when you brought this up because I think there's a real need. And we're actually getting ready to start up a support group here at the practice for survivors of narcissistic relationships because it's that prevalent. So let's talk about narcissists. You know, they have a real big sense of grandiosity and it's this level of self-importance that's way more than just arrogance or vanity. You know, they live in a fantasy world that supports their illusions of grandeur, distortion, 
They spin self-glorifying fantasies of success, power, brilliance. It's all about them feeling special and in control. With that said, they need constant praise and admiration. They have a, they need a sense of entitlement. They exploit others without guilt or shame. It's the it's the blame and shame game with them. You know, they completely lack empathy. They frequently demean, intimidate, bully, or belittle others. And gaslighting is a huge hallmark in um, narcissists. So it's really about not falling for the fantasy. So what does that mean? You know, they can be, well, narcissists are extremely magnetic, charismatic, and highly charming. They can light up a room. And in addition to that, they're extremely intelligent. So you will not win an argument with them. It doesn't matter what facts you know, how brilliant you are. You're never going to win an argument with a narcissist because they'll gaslight you until the end. Your needs won't be fulfilled. They aren't looking for partners, but rather obedient admirers. So it's all about like looking at how they treat others because you won't be sparred. So if they're doing this to others, chances are they're about to start doing that to you. So it's about taking off the rose-colored glasses. It's important to see them for who they really are and not what we want them to be, not what our fantasy is because they paint a beautiful picture when you first get together with them of like what this gorgeous relationship is going to look like. They treat you amazingly. Like I said, they're super charming and very magnetic. And then all of a sudden, you know, the veil comes off because they can't keep it up for so long. So it's about stopping to make excuses for their bad behaviors. Don't minimize the hurt that they cause you. Like, be very responsible for yourself and the damage that they're causing. Narcissists are very resistant to change. So you need to ask yourself if you can live like this for the rest of your life because they probably won't change. More likely than not, they're not going to change. It's highly unlikely. But there have been, you know, some cases that it does get a little bit better if they're that insightful and have a, a real good therapist to help them through it. So it's about focusing on your own dreams and not losing yourself in their delusions, setting healthy boundaries, huge, you know, make a plan. It's not easy to take back control from a narcissist, but it's definitely possible. It's best not to confront a narc for their narcissism. It's a bad idea because the wrath and the anger that you will get is pretty painful. Instead, you want to take a gentle approach if the relationship is important to you. You want to speak calmly and gently about how their behavior makes you feel instead of their motivation and intention. Now, if they respond with anger and defensiveness, which is usually the case, you want to try to remain calm and walk away if necessary. If possible, the rule of thumb is to just get out of the relationship altogether and do not warn them. Another huge key here is to not take things personally. Narcissists almost always deny their shortcomings, faults, mistakes, and they project their own faults onto others, including you, and blame the other person. They do not live in reality. So don't allow their shame and blame game to affect your self-esteem. Don't accept undeserved or misappropriated responsibility, blame, or criticism. Also, don't argue with a narcissist. It doesn't matter how rational or sound your arguments are. They are incapable and unwilling to see your point of view. Simply tell them you disagree with their view and move on and let it go. The best defense in dealing with a narcissist is to know yourself. That's the best defense to them gaslighting you, is to have a strong sense of self and who you are. Let go of the need for approval. Look for support elsewhere. Having friendships and family outside of the relationship is huge. Learn what a healthy relationship looks and feels like so you can compare the give and take because you need reciprocity in any relationship. You want to spend time with people who give you an honest reflection of who you truly are. Make new friendships outside of the narcissist's world. 
Look for meaning and purpose in your work, volunteer, have hobbies, have pets. The thing is that with narcissists, the good moments keep us in the game and the bad moments leave us questioning ourselves. So that's a pretty good recap of what I know about narcissists. Wow, that's, you know, I was sitting there listening to all that and I was like, (laughs) you know, the narcissist comes across as someone who's this fantastic person and charismatic and then it's all of a sudden it's like, well, if you disagree with them, then you're just a horrible person. Or if you don't kiss the ring kind of a thing, then that's just not acceptable. It's devast- It can be devastating at times because as the fog lifts and you start slowly seeing it in a person, you really question, is it me or is it them? Am I distorting something? Because they'll make you think that. And you don't want to believe that this person is this way. It's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde type of thing because they're so incredible. They're wonderful. It's very intoxicating because they come wrapped in really beautiful packages. Mm -hmm. But then slowly you start seeing the behaviors and then it just, it can take someone years. And I mean, years and years. Some people never come out of it because it's like a like a spider's web. You go deeper and deeper and deeper in the web. And it's so difficult to finally see your reality, know what you're seeing, not be gaslit by them, and then to make them the move to break away from it. I mean, it, it's it's a major process. So hopefully that's when you ask for help. We were talking about asking for help. You know, you need you have to ask for help. You go see a therapist, you talk to your parents, a family member, a sibling, a best friend, somebody you trust. It doesn't matter who, but you can't do it alone. Like you absolutely need to have a good sounding board mm-hmm. to have that person giving you a real honest reflection of yourself to make you feel like you're not crazy. Yeah. And I guess you could have a narcissist situation, not only in the romantic situation, but also in a a work situation. Oh, yeah. They're highly, highly successful and functional. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't I don't want to stereotype. But yeah, they're they're everywhere. They're everywhere, right? They're everywhere. And most of my clients, you know, come to therapy and they're the product of an environment where that one or both parents were narcissists. So, I mean. It just goes from generation to generation. So it's in your childhood, it's in your home, it's at work, it's in the romantic sense. I mean, it's all over. You know what's interesting about it? When I was listening to some of the characteristics of a narcissist, I'm like, well, some of those characteristics are are good, though, because Mm -hmm. you want people to have self-confidence and, you know, not be a a wimp and think that they can't do anything because, I mean, to have no charisma at at all is completely unattractive. Completely. Uh, from both the romantic <laughs> side and from a job side, you know, you want to have confidence and know that you can do things well, that you give off a good vibe. But I guess where it becomes a narcissist is when it just becomes just so inclusive and so overbearing. And it's, it's like you just don't you can't deal with anything that's against what you want. Kind of like temper tantrums almost. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's way beyond arrogance. Yeah. It's the lack of empathy. It's never understanding or acknowledging the other person's view or reality. That's right. Rodney yeah, agrees. Rodney's agreeing with that. <laughs> I mean, it, it takes it to another level. And it's that inability or incapability of having empathy in any like two-way conversation. That's the key right there. Right. You know? Interesting. Yeah. So what do you counsel clients on that? I know you said you want to try to get away, but but you also said you can't tell the narcissist that. Why? why you shouldn't. I mean, letting a narcissist know you're leaving usually doesn't work. You know, there's steps and precautions to take. Arguing with them is also no go. I mean, you're just literally wasting your time 
wasting your energy and it's just going to frustrate you mm-hmm. because a narcissist isn't going to be bothered. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a very complicated situation. And all I can say if you're dealing with someone like that is to try to get proper counsel and a good support system to help you through it. Right. Well, you know, that's that's sound advice. And it is something that I didn't really I mean, I realized I, I knew it went on and stuff. But when you start seeing more of your friends deal with that situation, you're like, man, you know, this is really bigger, a bigger problem than what I thought. And so that's why I texted you last night. and I was like, we should talk about this on the show. And you're like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a huge problem. So I'm glad we we're able to to counsel on that now. Yeah, it's great. That Thank being you. said, if someone who's listening to this does have that problem, I mean, you can always contact Vivian to address that issue. I forgot to mention at the beginning her website, but I want to mention it now. It's www.vivapsych.com. That's V-I-V-A-P-S-Y-C-H.com. And also you can follow her on Instagram at viva underscore psych. And she has a lot of good information there. So, well, I promise you that I would try to keep it under an hour. So I think I'm still within my promise, but I can't let you leave without asking you a few questions to see if you're actually living the dream. All righty. All right. So first question. So if you could have dinner with three celebrities other than Rodney, me and Prince, who would you pick? Three. I'll say up to three. How's that? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. That's when you get the best answers. Okay. They can be alive or dead. See, Rodney wants to go. He's begging over here to be a part of it. But Rodney, you're not eligible for this answer. Okay. Well, your idea of a celebrity may be different than my idea of a celebrity. Sure. <laughs> Someone that I would absolutely love to sit down and have dinner with is Pema Chodron. She's an ordained Buddhist nun. Yeah, I, see, I don't know her. I love her All so right, much. Elaborate on her. So she's incredible. She's still alive. I'm trying to get to one of her talks or workshops. She has she writes incredible books about the human spirit, the human mind, what to do when your life is in flux and, you know, falling on hard times and how to pick yourself up. And she talks a lot about her journey and what she went through. And she's incredibly inspiring. And I look at her picture and it just makes me feel all the feels. She's just, she represents so much peace and wisdom to me. I'd love to sit down with her. Mm-hmm. I'd love to sit down with Carl Jung. I really, really, really love his work. Mm-hmm. He was a leading psychologist. He talks a lot about the collective unconsciousness and the shadow work, the shadow part of our psyche. I do a lot of shadow work in here with my clients. My specialty is in trauma. So there's the light and the shadow part of our psyche, just kind of like a black and white cookie. And you need both to coexist, right? Just like the sun and the moon. You need both to to coexist. So it's about integrating, you know, everything that's in the shadow part of the psyche. That's all the things within our personality that we do not want to admit that we have. That's where like rage, fears, jealousy, anger, like insecurities. That's where all that stuff lies. And a lot of the work that I do is I, I help my clients, you know, gently go in there to deal with the problem because whatever cave your fearing is where the treasure lies. So we got to get to the root of the problem, you know, to try to heal. So I'd love, to, you know, to to sit down with him. Wow, there's so many people that I'd love to sit with. But I just recently saw Sting 
dancing salsa with his wife. It was like on Instagram. And I thought, oh, my God, that's amazing. I think they were like in Cuba or something like that. And I was and they were just like so loving and holding each other, dancing salsa with people on the street. And I went to one of his concerts. I love him, by the way. He's amazing. And I thought, oh, he's just so fascinating. I actually met him once a long time ago at this restaurant on Lincoln Road back in the heyday. And I don't know how I made it up to his table, but I but I did. I think somebody that I was with knew him. Yeah, that's what it was. Because I don't normally go up to a celebrity and bother them ever. Really? I do all the time. Really? Oh, my God. I should. But I, that's just not my style. But oh, somehow, I somehow I said hello. And he, like, kissed my hand. Hello. He was such a gentleman. And I remember not washing my hand for three days. <laughs> I'd love to sit down with him. And when I saw, I saw him dancing salsa with his wife in Cuba... I remember that story. I think he's coming to concert very soon, so I'm going to try to jump in on there. He's here next month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Growing up, when I first heard of Sting, I didn't think the the singer. I thought the wrestler, because I'm a big wrestling fan. And there was a a character in the NWA, later WCW, called Sting. And I was like, man... (laughs) He looks a whole lot different when he's on stage singing because this you know big wrestler and he is really popular, charismatic. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So anyway, that's was kind of funny. All right. So with Prince, what is your favorite thing to do with him? My favorite thing to do with him. <laughs> the fun stuff. Oh, uh, because I was gonna say snuggle. Well, that will work. <laughs> I love bedtime with him. I love going to the beach with him. That's a no-brainer. He is so my child. He loves sunshine. He loves the sound of the waves. He loves to roll around in the in the sand. I actually just took him to the full moon little ceremony I did on, on South Point with one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. And it was nighttime and he was like howling at the moon and the he waves was. were crying. He literally was howling. He got so energized. <laughs> the moon was coming out of the ocean. We were there. We were having the best time. So whether it's daytime or nighttime, like the beach to me is everything. The yeah. ocean, like there's nothing that gives me more joy than, you know, swimming in the beautiful waters that we have in our backyard. So being with him and doing that is probably my best fast time you know we have a dog beach not too far from um, where rodney and i live up in central florida and i took rodney to the dog beach and this is the first time he ever went to the beach and literally he just sprinted to the water and he was running up and down the beach and like he would hop into the waves i mean it was something else i i didn't have my phone with me to videotape it but he loved the water that's beautiful that's so, great yeah i mean i was always afraid you know bulldogs generally don't swim but one time he hopped into a pool and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to go after him and save him. But his the look on his face was like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? But luckily, he was right by the steps and came up, so he didn't do that again. So I was really surprised when he went to the ocean was that excited. He's so adventurous. I love that about him. That's great. Well, he's a character, that's for sure. <laughs> I was listening to all those characteristics. I'm like, you know, is Rodney a narcissist here? He's charismatic, always wants his way. But he does listen to the... Aside from others. So. Well, that's important. And then he's, he's not. Boy. Yeah. All right. So final question on living the dream. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years with your practice? Because I know you've put a lot of time into building a Viva Psychology. And it's it's not easy to to have this practice. But where, where are your goals? Where do you okay. want this to go? That's a good question. Thanks. So I've been 
really working on integrating Eastern and Western modalities within my practice. It's not just the Western science of the clinical psychology component that I got heavily trained in, but also the Eastern philosophies that I absolutely love and I have always been a part of since I was pretty young. So when I say Eastern, I'm talking about like meditation and acupuncture, Reiki and things like that, much more metaphysical new age, very mystical. So I was recently trained in a specific hypnosis for trauma called rapid resolution therapy. And I absolutely love it. I'm going to continue being trained with the founder, John Connolly. It's about helping those with trauma using a specific technique in hypnosis. It's Uh a sequence. Yeah, it's really incredible. It's groundbreaking and it's gaining a lot of momentum and popularity within the country. So I just recently got trained in that. But I want to continue along that path. I also am going to try to get trained and certified in past life regression therapy next year. Like visiting your past lives, being able to heal yourself through with your past lives, heal your past lives so you can be functional today. You know, there's a lot of fears and phobias that we carry into this lifetime, if you believe in reincarnation, that are handed down from other lifetimes and actually other family members as well. So I also see maybe less therapy in a few years and more public speaking, speaking to the masses, educating others, educating people that want to be very persistent and participate in their growth. You know, to me, it's more than just the psychological component. Mm -hmm. It's the holistic paradigm. Mm -hmm. It's the psychological component. It's the physical component. What are you doing with your body? Are you, do you have a daily practice where you're like, you know, you're sweating, you're, you're, you're releasing those toxins. It's about the mental component, cognitively, emotionally, and spiritually. It's about connecting all of those levels and really making a breakthrough in your overall well-being and just how you associate with life. It's about the higher consciousness, right? Like living mm-hmm. consciously, like the foods you eat. Like being, living the dream. Yeah, living the dream. Like being very conscious and mindful of the foods you eat, the people you hang out with and spend time with. That's really important, you know? The work that you do, giving back. I do a lot of pro bono work. I'm very passionate about sexual trauma survivors. My specialty is in all trauma and PTSD and attachment disorders. I have a vision and it's going to eventually move away from just traditional therapy sessions. I'm also a Reiki master. So it's going to be, you know, incorporating a lot of the energetic work and much more accessibility to the masses where here it's just one-on-one. I want to be able to reach the masses with my story because I've completely transformed a lot of trials and tribulations that I had growing up. And if, if it hadn't been for those struggles, I wouldn't have picked to do this as my life's purpose and mission. And I want to be able to be that beacon of hope and inspiration for those that are in the position that I was when I was like 18 to 23, 24, which is when really like I did a huge turnaround in my life. So that's pretty much it, I think. So you, you want to be like the next Dr. Phil or Dr. Drew or Oprah. No, I'm just Oprah. kidding. <laughs> Oprah's amazing. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, talk about the three people you'd like to have dinner with. Oh I mean, yeah. She's a good one. I mean, I've not, I've not been a big fan of her show just because I was always working or in school. But if you think about Oprah and someone who's living the dream and she started like, like many of us from humble beginnings and worked hard and look, look where she's become. And even beyond her TV show, I mean, she's got her own TV network and just, you talk about influential people. I mean, Oprah's probably, I bet 
I bet on anybody's list, she would probably be in the top 10, maybe top yeah. five. But I'm going to add her to my list for sure. All right. So you're <laughs> going to have four people. Oh, yeah. I mean, if that's all I can get, four people, I'll take it. Well, I just picked three because I was like, well, what if I say three and she has problems coming up with three. She's amazing. I mean, I love how she really, that's, she's constantly talking about the importance of giving back, the importance of connecting with humanity. It's all about the human connection, going back to what we talked about asking for help, right? Right. It's about connecting with others, learning as much as you can in this lifetime, and hopefully having fun along the way. But for me, it's about the deeper meaning in life and all my relationships and getting down to the nitty gritty with others. Well, I tell you what, I really enjoyed you coming on the show because I didn't really know that much about psychology and and everything, but it's a very complicated science and a lot of issues out there. And we only scratch the surface on things that are that are out there. But I really appreciate you taking out the time to join me and also have Prince be here. I really appreciate it. And you know, if you're listening to this episode and if you have issues that you feel you need to get addressed, you can definitely contact Vivian. Like I mentioned earlier, her website is www dot viva psych.com and you can follow her on instagram at viva underscore psych because what we we're talking about today if you're not sound mental health wise if you are dealing with narcissists in your life or bullies or whatever and you don't address that it prohibits you from living your dream and one of the main purposes of this podcast is for people to find ways to live their dream and walk away saying you know what i've lived a great life and the life i wanted to live so once again i like to thank vivian Ariola for coming on the show. And by the way, I forgot to mention at the very beginning, in order for me to come on the show, she gave me a full psychoanalysis. And luckily <laughs> I passed. She gave Rodney a pass. But uh, so anyway, I had to, you know, it wasn't easy to get her on the show. So anyway, Vivian, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hope everyone has a great week. And thanks so much for coming on the show and listening to our uh, podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.